Welcome to The Grow Show, powered by Steel. On The Grow Show, we share ideas, tips, tactics, and insights to help you grow your landscaping business based on our team's 40 years of experience running a landscaping company and working with other owners and their teams to do the same. New episodes are released weekly on Wednesdays. Without further ado, here's your host, Marty Grunder. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever the case may be. This is Marty Grunder from Grunder Landscaping Company and The Grow Group. And you are with us today on The Grow Show, powered by Steel. And I have my good friend, best-selling author, Joe Calloway from Nashville, Tennessee, with us today. Joe, how are you? Marty, I couldn't be better. As the old comedian Jerry Clower used to say, if I was any better, I'd be twins. <laughs> I love it. Joe Calloway has been not only a tremendous mentor to me, but to countless other entrepreneurs and leaders across the United States and Canada for, Joe, how many years? 40 years? Oh, gosh. Countless decades, Marty. Getting close to 40. Smart guy, author of many books, my favorite, Becoming a Category of One. Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself so those that don't know who you are can get to know you a little bit. And then we're going to have a terrific discussion here. Uh, Take it away. Sure. Let me do a short version so we can get into some stuff. I went into the real estate business with a guy back in the late 70s. I didn't know anything about real estate, but I learned quickly. I became the sales manager, the general manager, moved to a bigger real estate firm, became the director of marketing. From that, I went into doing customized business workshops for all kinds of different companies, mostly around Nashville, which is where I lived and still live. And then I I evolved into speaking, more like keynote stuff, about about a lot of things. A a lot of my career, Marty, was spent focused on customer service, customer experience, building your brand with your people. And then eventually I ended up pretty well just focused on working with senior leadership of a company, very small groups, 10 people, 12 people and me sitting around a boardroom table. I always felt like my job was to understand what works in business and then pass that on to my clients in a way that would uh, help them in, improve results and be better at what they do. Some of the biggest, most recognizable companies have worked with you, Joe. A lot of these experiences were talked about in what's, I believe, your best-selling book that you've written of the many that you've written, Becoming a Category of One. Certainly, after everyone has spent some time with us, they're going to want to read that gem. It's one of my favorite business books of all time. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, I'm a fan of your of yours, Joe, and, and you're a good friend of mine. The book is just, it's tremendous. Folks that read it, tell me what an impact it's made. Let, let's talk a little bit about that book and how you learned and how you have taken lessons that you've learned and taught them to entrepreneurs and leaders of entrepreneurial endeavors and other businesses to stand out in a sea of sameness. Here's something very interesting, Marty. When I talk to, you know, I love Becoming a Category 1, too. It's a pretty good book. The other one that I really like is Be the Best at What Matters Most, which has a whole chapter on you and, and Grunder Landscaping. But here's the point I want to make. I was on a panel once, and it was for the, the hospitality industry. There were five of us, and there were a, a couple of very successful business owners. There was a, a writer from the Wall Street Journal that focused on the hospitality industry and, and a couple of other people. 
And at the end of it, we were taking questions and a guy raised his hand and he said, you know, you all said good stuff and no offense, but you're all saying pretty much the same thing. And my response was, well, there's a clue, isn't there? And when I talk to people like you and other really good leaders and entrepreneurs, they all say pretty much the same thing. And so becoming a category one was to take the best ideas that I heard out there and distill them down in such a way that people could use them. And the ideas were things like, it was around culture. It was around having real clarity on who you are and having a real focus on on what your company was all about. It was about tiebreakers. It was really just kind of a best of book in terms of ideas that could help you stand out. So what about culture? Certainly you have seen bad cultures and you've seen good cultures. The overwhelming majority of our listeners on The Grow Show Powered by Steel are owners and leaders of landscaping companies. So you, I know you totally understand you've, you've taught it grow a few times. What about culture can you share with us that helps those companies, that can help companies win? A couple of thoughts. Number one, every company, I had somebody after a speech once, Marty, it was to a bunch of bankers and I talked a lot about culture and a banker came up afterwards and he said, you know, I've been thinking about culture. We've, we've got to, we've got to have a culture in our bank. And I said, wait a minute. You've already got a culture. You can't not have a culture. The question is, is it by design? Is your culture created with intention? And does your culture really kind of serve as your guidelines for everything you do, from hiring to how you work with customers? So I think the biggest thing is to be intentional and, and think about how you design your customer. Here's the other thing. I'll paint a picture. Two employees walking down the hall and they look at the poster on, on, the, on the wall that says our culture. And the number two item is respect. Respect for each other, respect for everybody. And one of them turns to the other one and says, if that's true, how come she's still working here? That's worse than not even having a a culture poster on the wall. If you don't mean it and you don't, I I think one of a leader's primary jobs is to be the protector of, the builder of, and the keeper of the culture and to talk about it all the time. You do that. You're a master at that. Well, well, Joe, you know, in the process of getting to know you, having you here into Grunder to work with my team and reading your books, spending time brainstorming with you in Louisville, Kentucky, like we like to do, one of the things that when I was a young entrepreneur, and I told you this, I was afraid to keep talking about what was important to me because I sounded like a nag. And I, I really, until you gave me the belief that I needed to keep talking about that, you almost gave me the permission, Joe. You said, Marty, leaders have to talk about what matters most all the time. And as a matter of fact, they should be able to mimic you talking about it. That's where it should end up being. And I just remember, you know, you gave me license to do that. 
And I took a whole different approach towards that stuff. Our four core values, quality, leadership, teamwork, and profitability, our mission statement. We talk nonstop about, about those. We, we talk about them at the start of every meeting. I stop all the trucks leaving our facility once a quarter, okay, to say, do you know the core values? I look in their truck. I ask them to give me an example of supporting the core values in the last week. So in other words, they're not just words on a piece of paper, but quite frankly, and I give you credit for this, until then, I wasn't as intentional about it. Like, I kind of thought, well, they're, they're words on a piece of paper and everybody sees them. You know, now we have them on a totem pole in, in the yard here at Grunder. They're on the dashboards of the trucks. You have to be able to say them. Where, where did you learn that? I, I know one of the companies you talked about was Tractor Supply. Maybe you want to talk about that company a little bit or some of the others because you you showed me a way to personalize my core values and to talk about them. How can others do the same? Well, and the other thing, the, the thing that you're not saying that is equally important as talking about it, Marty, is your employees watch you all the time. They watch the way you behave. They watch the way you behave with your peers, with your clients, with your with each other, and and. If, if you're breaking the culture, then they think, okay, he may talk about it all the time, but it doesn't matter because he doesn't live that way. But you do live that way. You, you mentioned Tractor Supply Company. Yeah, they, they are a, the case study in becoming a category of one. And Joe Scarlett, good friend, I, I did a ton of work for them. We still have lunch once a month. He was the CEO and chairman of the board back when I interviewed him for becoming a category one. And Marty, you talk about a company where there's buy-in like Grunder Landscaping, where there's buy-in top to bottom, side to side, every employee. And I asked him, and this is where I think the idea first really, boom, hit me between the eyes. I said, Joe, how do you get such company-wide buy-in to your values, to your culture, to the way you guys want to do business. And he thought, and he said, you know, the fact is we just talk about this stuff all the time. Boom. And they do. I remember you're the one that said, and I quote you, you said, unless you get to the point where your employees are making fun of you for saying the same thing all the time, you're not doing your job. Right. And well, you helped me see that. I mean, that was, I didn't realize the impact of that stuff. But what happens is in a culture you know, and you and I have talked about this, the first four letters of the word culture are cult. And this is a good cult. And we're looking for people that want to buy in. And, you know, when I listen to you, make me think of one of my favorite sayings I like to share. And that is that the leader needs to be great at what they want their followers to be good at. And that's what you're saying. Like, if customer service is important, and you're preaching this to your team, but you complain about Mrs. McGillicuddy who called at 445 on Friday and you say in front of everybody, she can wait. I'll talk to her Monday. What did you just give the entire team license to do? And, and the notion that you're always being watched, that is, I don't think that's hard to understand. I think that's hard as an owner and a leader in a company to always be on go and know that. But that's the kind of commitment that it takes to win. Yeah. By the way, you just touched on one of my, probably one of my top three favorite tiebreakers 
in the world. It's been one of mine for over 30 years. Immediate response to customers, prospects, and partners. I mean, I live by that. I get back to people immediately. And I have people say, well, you know, they go in their office and they look and here's three messages from customers. And they say, I need to get to that, but I've got really important stuff to do. Explain to me what's more important than getting back to a customer. Just lay that out for me. Unless it might be getting back to an employee, which probably carries close to equal weight if there's a problem with an employee. Okay, I got us off track. Keep going. No, no, you're good. I know that you owned a restaurant, which, you know, when I think of a business that is really tough to succeed in, a restaurant would probably be number one or number two. Technology and restaurants would be the two hardest, I think, just because they're they're ever evolving. They just are. You've been working with the owners and leaders of companies for a long time. I have as well. What things have stayed the same through all of that and what things are different today? Like what, is there anything you see today that would make some of this things that you and I have learned irrelevant or not as important? I I have a hard time because world according to Marty, I think it's still a lot the same, but maybe I'm not looking at that right, Joe. Exhibit A. I had a cup of coffee this morning, Cafe Du Monde in New Orleans. A lot of the people watching this had been there. Yep, I've Um, been there. It's in the the French market down in New Orleans. This is on the back, Marty. This is so funny that you talk about what's the same. Cafe Du Monde, the original French market coffee stand, serving cafe au lait and hot beignets 24 hours a day, year-round. The familiar New Orleans landmark has been located in the French Quarter since 1862. And what they are really good at is, you did a post this morning, buddy, and part of it said, know what type of work you are selling and producing. Cafe Du Monde is really clear on what they do. Now, do they upgrade their equipment? Do Do they upgrade their technology? Yes, of course. But they've got absolute clarity. Here's what we do. And by the way, a few years, they went into selling their products on a website. So that was a huge step for them that that kind of the marketplace demanded and they responded. But in terms of, you and I tend to talk about a lot of values-based things, and those tend to not change too much. What changes more than anything is the technology and your customers in terms of their level of expectation, that's always going up. And so we have to make changes just in response to an ever more demanding and smarter marketplace. You know, it's funny, Joe, as I'm sitting there listening to you, you're so right. So what we're saying is that the the values, the, the core things that the customer is paying for, those haven't changed a lot. But the delivery mechanism or maybe some nuances of it have changed. Like, for example, prior to COVID, the Grow Group delivered overwhelming majority of our material in person. We deliver more and more material online now because people have become comfortable with Zoom, with WebEx, with Teams. We're using something today called Squadcast to record this podcast. 
they're very comfortable with that kind of learning. So things have changed. My son has a 1993 Bronco. It's in the garage. I got it out the other day because he's away at school. I drove it up to the store and I was like, man, this thing may look cool. And it, it got me up the road just fine, but the seat's not as comfortable. I can't play my iPhone through the speakers. It didn't break quite as well. So it's like this, still the same basic thing it's doing, but we're looking for more features or the way it's delivered. My daughter, Kate, who you know, we traded cars for Kate, got Kate another car, and I went into the dealer, and buying cars has changed tremendously. The, the salesman was a guy that I knew, and he said, did you go on Kelly Blue Book and see what Kate's car that she's driving now is worth? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, let's just pull it up. And he turned his screen around. He said, are those the numbers you saw? And I said, that's exactly the numbers I saw. He said, I'm going to give you the highest number for your trade-in. And I said, because you don't, I don't negotiate their price on their car. It's just what they'll give me for mine. And so he said, I'll give you the highest number. Is that good? I said, that's totally good. We got a deal, write it up. The customer knows as much about the car as the salesman does now. So things like that or changes that you have to respond to. So let, let's talk about that. Let's help everyone out here. Maybe they can do a little self-assessment. And, and I'm wondering if you're the same way. Like, I'm paperless now, Joe. When I do business with someone, I want to be able to pay on their portal or pay online with either an ACH draft or my credit card. And I want a receipt emailed to me that I can file on either my OneDrive or my, or whatever, or my other hard drive, my file I have here but I don't have papers. And I, I see things like that. And I just think there are so many things like that, that even the very, very small entrepreneur can embrace and compete with the big boys. What are your thoughts there? Well, that falls into one of my other top three tiebreakers. I want to ask everybody that's watching this or listening to it, how much of a competitive advantage would it be to your business if you were known as the easiest yes, to I do business with. Right. That is so huge. And if somebody gives me a speed bump in doing business with them, I'm telling you, I'll go somewhere else if we don't have a lasting relationship. By the way, you were talking about getting buying stuff online. Another thing, and this is back to values, is I'm involved in a number of different businesses now, from real estate to snowboards to Kentucky bourbon. And everybody that I partner with, I get contracts now for me to sign. Marty, all I do is go to the yellow tabs where they need my signature. I don't even read the contract anymore because I trust them. And so easy to do business with, treat people right, do the right thing, ethics, get to the point where people don't even have to read your contract. Yeah. What, what about, what about follow-up? What, what kind of an impact does follow-up have today in business? I think follow-up huge. It's interesting. The, the car dealer, the guy that we bought the car from, he called Kate three days after we did the deal. And then the next day he called me. He said, I just want to be sure you guys are happy. He said, and when I say happy, I mean totally happy. Is there anything you got a question about that wasn't what you expected? 
and so, yeah, I think follow-up is just, it's so powerful. And what you want to do, Marty, here's the thing. I never did much outbound selling because it, as a speaker, because it was, my, my marketing program was do great work to the point that your customers are the ones sending customers to you. That whole, which of course in the landscaping business, my gosh, I'm like everybody else, whether it's a landscaper, car repair, whatever, I'm going to Google and I'm going to look for customer reviews. I don't care what you say about yourself. Right, I want to exactly. know what the people that and did it's business. It's so easy with. to do now, Joe. You can't hide. Yes, you do it that quick. And so you want your customers to say, let me tell you, we needed we needed a start to finish landscaping job, and these guys are the best. Just hire them. Right. I'm telling you, just hire them. Exactly. Pay whatever they ask; they're worth it. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's what you want them saying. I know the answer to this, so I'm setting you up on this one. But what are your feelings on companies that have all these elaborate processes for handling problems, like the hotel that puts something in your room to say sorry? the company that carries, you know, I'm sorry cards in their trucks to send to clients or to leave on their doors for making mistakes. What are your feelings on those types of things? Number one, everybody will make a, st- a mistake exactly. at some point and you will make another mistake at some point. But to focus on, okay, <laughs> let's do some training right. on how we apologize. Right. What? Right. Don't even get to that point in the first no, place. No, let's do some training on getting it right. Let me tell you, back in the days when everybody was talking about wow factors, oh, we got to have a wow factor. We got to have a wow. My response to that was, here's the biggest wow factor out there. Wow, those guys get it right every single time. Or instead of writing an email or sending a text saying, hey, you had somebody working at our house. And I'm telling you, that guy or that gal is a superstar. Just went above and beyond. That's great. But you know what's better? When you get a text or an email that says, Marnie, I just want you to know, after two years of working with you guys, everybody that comes here from your company is terrific. Touchdown. Boom. Everybody. A superstar is great, but you want to you have Everybody meet the standards. And that's a tough mark to hit, but that's what you got to be aspiring to all the time. It is. I had I have a client. He's in the Atlanta area. He's a really good client. He's done a really nice job with his business. But about 10 or 15 years ago, and I remember I told you this story, I came in to see him and he showed me all these tackle boxes that he had put together to put in his salespeople's cars. There was like four of them. And they were cards that you could write, I'm sorry. He had Starbucks gift cards, oh, steak and shake gift cards. I forget all the fast. He had just different gift cards. And he says, so now when we make a mistake, we can spring into action. And he goes, what do you think? Pretty in- innovative, huh? And I said, well, not really. I'd rather see you take all the effort into train your people not making mistakes. Like, what kind of mistakes were you making? And, and actually, it helped him. Like, he said, Marty, I just, I didn't look at it like that. I didn't look at, like, those things are going to be prevented. Joe, like you just indicated, there's certain mistakes that are going to happen. There's no way you're going to be able to even conceive that could happen. And you may have to spring into action. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, though, is trying to have your place trained 
and systems set up that minimize the opportunities for mistakes. And let me tell you something. As a customer, if there's a, I don't mean a little bitty something that it could happen to anybody. I'm talking about if a real mistake is made. I don't think, oh, well, that's the that's the, the crew leader's fault or, or that's the, the worker her fault. I think that's on the owner. That's on the CEO right there because that's a top-down thing. So, yeah, we're, we're in lockstep on that. Minimize. Get it right the first time. Minimize the apologies. I think that owners and leaders get distracted rather easily. I think that they can get distracted by a piece of technology that promises to make their life easier. So they go and jump into it feet first without really investigating it a whole lot. I think they can get distracted by a customer that's there's potential there. And we neglect the folks that brought us up to the level that we're at. And we go all in on another customer. I just think that there's a part of us and our creativity that we get distracted easily. How do you I totally agree. And uh, you know, I can kind of just repeat what, what you just said. Here's, I think a big distraction is people say, well, okay, we, we got the basics covered. Right. Yeah, we're, we're good at that. I don't have to think about that anymore. Right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back way the heck up, bud. Right. You got to think about the basics every single day, all day long. You're not going to win anything if you're not winning inside the box with your customer's basic expectations. Do what you said you'd do, the way you said you'd do it, when you said you'd do it. it it's you use the word distraction a lot. I like to think in terms of because you, me, everybody on on the podcast with us right now, there are all sorts of things that come up that we could do. And I always think, is this an opportunity or is this a distraction? Right. And sometimes you try things and you then you to. find out. Right. You have but, to. But 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 things can easily become a distraction. And some I've seen so many companies get caught up in this notion of, well, let's do something that'll make us different. Come on, everybody can wear a funny hat and you're different. One of my favorite quotes is from a guy named Johnny Ive, who used to be the, the head of design for Apple. And he said this, different is easy, better is hard. The ultimate difference is to be better. And I think we also get distracted by sometimes doing work that we shouldn't even be doing. Sometimes doing business with clients that we, we should have said no to. Them. I finally got to the point in my career where my response would be to a potential client, I'd say sometimes would be, you know, I could do that and I could do okay, but I want to send you to somebody that that's what they do. That's totally their wheelhouse. I'm going to stick with what I do and what I know I do well. But you're right, Marty. There's a, an, another quote I heard that I love, buzzers and bells wear off. Value never does. Right. One of the, I've learned a lot from you, Joe, but I think probably the thing that I have learned the most is the conviction you have when you say no. You decided a couple years ago to retire from speaking and you wouldn't even speak for your buddy Marty in Nashville, Tennessee. You didn't want to do it 
because that's not what you did anymore. I know, I, quit. I, I know you wanted to do it because you like me, but it wasn't your business anymore. And you didn't want to have someone here that you see or hear or learn that you did something that you said you, you let that go. You, you let it go. I think when I listen to you, you know, you talk about culture and you talk about clarity. When you're intentional about your culture, when you're intentional about your clarity, you're constantly talking about where we're going. You're reminding everyone of milestones that we've met to get to where we're going. I think that makes that these distractions, they're not so tempting. I admire you so much because I say no, but I don't say no as much as you do. Where'd that come from? Like, how do you, how can I do better there? How can our listeners do better at saying no? Because I know there's benefits to it. Part of it's just having been around the block thing, Marty, and you know that. You, the, the longer you're in business, the more you learn yeah. about. You, you finally look back at your track record of all those clients that every time you would see their name, you would go, oh, my gosh, yeah. what is it now? And you started screaming. Yeah, you, you started learned, qualifying. Right? But I wish, in my own case, I wish I had been a little more ahead of that curve than I was. But I finally realized that one of the essential keys to creating opportunity is knowing what to let go of and knowing what to say no to. And saying no is not a negative thing. Saying no creates space for really positive things to happen and the things that you want to happen. I think a really useful question is, what are you willing to give up in order to be successful? And I don't mean in a putting yourself through the hard times and all that. I mean, choose, you know, pick your lane and you, you may want to expand the number of lanes that you are in, but do it very intentionally and purposefully and very carefully so that it is an opportunity and not a distraction. Folks, we're, we're with Joe Calloway today on the Grow Show powered by Steel. Uh, Joe has taught at Grow many times in the past. We're sharing some more lessons from that, getting insight, getting updates. Uh, Joe, in terms of business, you're a consumer. You hire landscapers at your house. You read, I don't know how many business publications every day. I mean, you're somebody I, I talk to when I, you know, just first of all, I find it inspiring to talk to you, but we have a lot in common. And I always leave my dis discussions with you smarter. If you were going to start a landscaping company or you were going to hire a landscaper, just put it in that mode, what would you be looking for? Like, what would you tell someone to make sure their landscaping company does? Or what would you do if you were trying to grow a landscaping company? Give us some of your wisdom there. Two things pop into mind immediately. One is immediate response. If I throw an inquiry your way and you don't get back to me for three days, yeah, you're bad. off the list. Right. You're a goner. Right. I, heard, I, I was talking to a company, and this was a few years ago, and they said, well, our company policy is that we, <laughs> we return, we get back to people within 24 hours. And I said, I was kind of a smart ass about it, I'll confess, Marty. I, I said, well, let me, let me poke at that a little bit. That policy wouldn't work for me because of where I live. And they said, where do you live? And I said, the 21st century. <laughs> 24 hours? Right. 
Right. Do you want my business or not? And I know a lot of people listening to this are going to be saying, I think you're being unreasonable. No, I'm really not. Right. That's that's where the marketplace kind of is. The other thing is understand your customer. That means really do a good job in understanding with our home what Annette and I are wanting to do. How do you do that? What our vision for the landscaping is. Really get it so that you can go, okay, now I know what to suggest. I know what they like. I know what they don't like. Something occurs to me that they might like based on what they've told me. I'm going to put that in the mix. I've got a feel for how much money they want to spend. One of my favorite things a client ever said to me, I was doing a lot of work for this company, big company, 20,000 employees. And the CEO called me in and he said, we work with a lot of people like you, Joe, and they know their stuff inside and out. So do you. But the difference is you get us. You understand what it is we're trying to accomplish. And that's the reason we hire you so much is you get us. And I want my landscaper to get us. It's a, I think those are two of the most important things. So I, I, you know, as I listen to you, I'm trying to think like, how can I get my team to listen to their clients better? Probably a questionnaire, a series of questions, you know, get the team together. What are the questions you're most often asked? What are things clients don't ask that they should ask? There's, There's all that stuff. But I think you're also making me realize that, and again, this isn't earth shattering, Joe, but. We learn the most by talking to two different groups of people, our customers and our team. And if you, as the CEO of your landscaping company, are not spending several hours a week talking to your team, going out on jobs, talking to customers, Joe, as I listen to you, I don't know how you understand your customer better. You're not going to understand it better by sitting in your office reading emails and looking at reports, you're going to have to get out and and where the tire hits the road. Am I r- right or wrong? And by the way, you talk about talking to your team. Joe Scarlett, in becoming a Category 1, who was CEO of Tractor Supply Company, Joe was company, company headquarters is here in Nashville. Joe would take the company plane, which was Southwest Airlines, and he would fly to Kansas City. He'd go to all the stores there. He'd go to the warehouse. He'd go in the warehouse and get everybody around. He'd say, okay, guys, I'm Joe Scarlett. I'm the CEO, which means I'm pretty much overhead. You guys tell me, what are we doing out of Nashville that gets in your way? Tell me what you run into. You go, I can't believe they do it this way. Talk to me. Tell me how we can make your job easier and things go better for you so it goes better for the stores so it then goes better for the customers. And he was a master at that, getting on the ground and talking to the people closest to the job. One other thing I want to say is a word of caution that you make me think of. And then I want to get your take on the economy, Joe, and and where you think we're headed and what we can glean from all that wisdom. I I know you're a voracious reader and a studier, but folks, when, when you go out and follow up with your customers, never, ever throw your team under the bus. The minute you throw your team under the bus, you look stupid, and that person that you had on that account is never going to be looked positively upon on that job site again. What I often say, Joe, is, listen, I'm sorry we screwed up, 
or I'm sorry, you know, and coming out to see you that you're not happy with those two shrubs on the corner. If there's anybody to blame, it's me. And I'm going to go get you some solutions. We'll, we'll go get some solutions. I just say that because I think sometimes we go out, we can go out on a, on a call like that and talk to a client. We can actually do a lot of damage. All right. The economy, the economy, what, what is your take? Uh, I'll give you what we're talking about here. I realize there's things to be concerned about with the economy, but Joe Grunder Landscaping Company at the Grow Group, we are full bore ahead. I've got my head down because I can't control the economy. Now, that being said, I want to be careful. So what are, what is your take on the economy and what would you suggest owners and leaders of landscaping companies do right now with regards to the economy? Well, I'm, I'm involved primarily in three different businesses, as I said earlier, real estate development, snowboard skis, and Kentucky bourbon. Right. I ain't worried at all about Kentucky bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> no. Let me tell you, bud, bourbon business is a good business yeah, to be I, in. Yeah, I hear it is. My kids so don't like it. I don't like it. But we're like you, Marty. We're, we're going full speed ahead, even with real estate development. With with We build condo developments and we'll build apartment complexes. And we're, we, we're a little more cautious than we were a couple of three years ago. But I don't foresee anything disastrous on the horizon. I just really don't. I think this year, generally speaking, it is going to be fairly flat in a lot of businesses. It depends. It depends on the industry, obviously. Here's my overall take on the economy. I think it's going to get better, and then you know what? I think it's going to get worse. And after that, you know what'll happen? It'll get better again. Everybody watching this knows that's what the economy does. The, the thing is, when it takes a dip, it doesn't throw me into a tailspin. That's normal. That happens. I don't care who's president. It does that. And so I think the thing is to understand how to respond in such a way. And this sounds like a cliche, but it's true. How can I create an opportunity from this? How can I look at this in such a way that I go, you know, if we did this, we could gain some market share. So I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know. Short term, I think this year is going to be okay. I think for some of your clients, Marty, it's going to be a really good year. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about it. Joe, it's been great having you with us on The Grow Show. Any final comments? Where can people get a hold of you? How do we buy your book? Talk to us. They can get a hold of me on, on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn all, all okay, the time. Perfect. Marty, they, listen, any friend of yours is a friend of mine. My email is joe at joecalloway.com. If I can ever help you out or you want to bounce an idea around, do that. They can get my books on Amazon. Yeah, they're there all on there. They're all on there. All right. I got one last question for you. And as I'm sitting here racing through my notes and my Banks, I didn't talk to you about people in terms of how you find them. Keep them, I think we talked about a little bit. Have you heard any new ideas of people that are finding folks? That's the biggest challenge in our industry is labor. I know it is. I don't think I can tell these folks 
any anything that they don't already know. And they sure know more about how to hire for their company than I know. But generally speaking, to state a couple of the obvious things, possibly your best source of new employees, and they all know this, is your existing employees. Yeah. And that ties um, back into culture and all the other things we spent yeah. the last 40 minutes also, talking about. Be willing to, I know a lot of times you need people so badly that it's real tempting to just say, if, if you got a pulse or you're breathing, you're hired. Take, take the time necessary to hire people that can develop into really good employees. And that's hard to do when hiring is tight like it is now. But grit your teeth and and, well, uh, and what you put just in the work. There, what you just said there might be the best thing you've said so far. And that is, because I know where you're going with it, when when you add a bad ter- person to a good culture, you made that good culture worse. And that's what we have to be careful of. And, and that's, again, to what we talked about before about saying no and how that one that might be one of the greatest words in business is no. And it's just not something that comes easy. Joe, no, you're, you're a great friend. You're a great mentor. So nice to have you with us here on The Grow Show. We'll, we'll check back in with you in a fu- future episode, okay? You're the goat, bud. You're the best. Thanks to you. Th- hey, thanks to Steele. This has been great being on the show with you, Marty. Well, Thank Steel you. Steele is a wonderful supporter of ours. Joe, thanks a lot. Joe Calloway, everyone on The Grow Show. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Grow Show. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and head to growgroupinc.com for more information and resources to grow your landscaping business. A special thanks to the folks at Steel, whose support makes this podcast possible and whose reliable handheld power equipment makes our jobs easier daily. We'll talk to you next week.